1: If you can find a spark in someone that they're of interest, of enthusiasm, then a you know, great inferno fire can be built on top of that. And there are lots of great jobs out there, but I think the massive disconnect has happened is that people don't find the thing that's right for them. So what I love about Generation is that we help people connect with jobs, which they might not be aware of, but actually they're really well suited for and can get really excited about
0: Hey, how are you? Yeah, great, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. I'm looking forward to this one. I think when we worked with Seven Hills a little while ago, I think Chloe gave the recommendation to kind of reach out to you guys learn a little bit more about what you guys do. And but I'll leave that up to you to kind of provide a little bit of an intro, who you are, what you do and why.
1: Yeah, great. Thanks. No, I'm really, really happy to be here. i looking forward to the conversation. Uh, so I'm Michael. I'm CEO of a charity called Generation. And we support people facing barriers to employment into jobs, which otherwise would probably be inaccessible to them. So that's what we're all about. And over the past six, 12 months, you know, that, that's become even more important with everything going on in, in the country and globally. Uh, there's lots of people are in, unfortunately, pretty, um, pretty challenging situations. And, and if we can help them get get them into great jobs, then that's a big impact.
0: So that's what we're, we're all about. And tell me a little bit more about your own background, like what you did prior to working for generation.
1: Yeah, I so I'd helped build a couple of tech startups. One was called Review, one was called Quill Software Marketing Space, VC backed businesses that I joined when they were, you know, plucky little five-person, 10-person businesses, and helped build them into something a bit, a bit, a bit bigger. So that was great. Really loved those journeys. Did that over about 10 years and then just heard about what Generation had done in other countries and was really amazed by, by how much progress they'd made. And I could really see the need and the opportunity of doing something in the UK. So I was, uh, I was brought in essentially to, to help launch things in the UK.
0: So looking at what Generation have done in other countries, maybe walk us through a little bit of, of what they do and why. Yeah. So
1: the, the organization was founded back in 2015 with this mission to, to support people facing barriers of employment in, into jobs, and if you think back to 2015, you know, there was there was a lot going on. I mean, there's a lot, heck a lot going on in the world in, in the last two years. But back then, youth employment was a massive topic. It was just off the back of the Arab Spring. So in certain countries, you know, the the fact that loads of people were out of jobs, uh, particularly young people, had sparked all sorts of civil unrest for understandable reasons. So there was this huge momentum behind making sure that young people could get access to jobs Um, and at the same time what we knew was that actually employers have got lots and lots of job opportunities so there's no shortage of job opportunities it's just as a mismatch in skills training between what people are able to do versus what employers require so generation is all about bridging that gap and so it's a win-win situation And, and that was back in 2015 generation started launching programs in different countries um, and then, so now today, they're live in 16 countries around the world, and have helped something like 60,000 people into jobs. So globally, it's become quite
0: big. That's amazing. It kind of goes without saying that we should kind of reference the pandemic in respect to the work that you guys have done, because obviously the pandemic changed the whole landscape of, of of work as we as we see and also as we know it. So, can you kind of walk through a little bit of what you were doing in the pandemic, and then we'll bring that forward to the current crises that we face at the moment.
1: Yeah, the pandemic was obviously massively tumultuous for for everyone. There was no there was no escaping it, and for lots of charities, actually, in that first year in twenty twenty, everyone was just in survival mode. You know, everyone's model was totally disrupted, and it was it was just figuring out how could you continue to survive as a charity you know, was, was, was really the question lots of charities were asking themselves as well as in a situation where more people than ever needed help so that was a really challenging year thankfully we you know we managed to navigate through that and I think what's become more important as we've as we've come out of that is that it's become really clear that the impact of COVID has not fallen evenly the the impact of COVID first of all from health situation but now through to economic situation has It felt so much heavier on people that already didn't have much of a buffer to deal with any sorts of things that came their way. So that was pretty bad. And then with the cost of living crisis in the past three to six months, it's the same story. It's it's falling heaviest on people that were already in a challenging situation. So yeah, the, the last two years really has put more people, and I'm talking about millions of more people in the UK, into a more challenging situation financially. And if you're stuck without a job, that's bad and that's a, that's a challenging place to be so you know thankfully there is there are ways out of it and the the parts of the uk economy are booming and so there's really exciting jobs out there but if people do need the right platform to to get into those jobs
0: yeah exactly i think it's also from my perspective looking at the pandemic Not only was it insanely bad for an awful lot of people and their families, I was included, but equally looking at the the change, like I've always said that crisis is a catalyst for change. And if you look at what we're seeing at the moment, crisis is driving very much a change of landscape. It's, you know, we can maybe talk about things like the great resignation. It's, it's something that we've touched upon in previous podcasts. I, I think personally, it's a period of great awakening whereby people are looking back and looking at their own lives, looking at their own work situations and reflecting and going, well, is this it? There's got to be a better way. And people are now building this kind of new new form of landscape. And I'm intrigued like as to your views on not only the challenges, such as the Great Resignation, but also the solutions at hand
1: yeah it's a massive topic and and it's clearly happening it's the stats on this are, are really really clear and I, so I've got two views on this i suppose one is um what's actually happening practice with the great resignation and why that's happening where we're seeing it happening but I think there's also an underlying theme of like people are just are not con- are not excited or connected enough with with an opportunity and that's what's kind of triggering all of this change so let me start with that one actually because one of the reasons I love doing this job and I love what generation does is that we help connect people with careers that they're really excited about, like really excited about, you know, these careers in technology or the green economy, where they can see these careers ahead, which are pay well, first of all, but are also really exciting spaces, and they can see building a career in them. And I think that's what I find super exciting. You know, that if, you, if you can find a spark in someone that they're of interest, of enthusiasm, then a you know, great inferno fire can be built on top of that. And there are lots of great jobs out there. But I think the massive disconnect is, is that people don't find the thing that's right for them. So what I love about Generation is that we help people connect with jobs, which they might not be aware of, but actually they're really well suited for and can get really excited about. But most of those people that we're serving are currently unemployed. So you don't actually represent the great resignation because they haven't got there yet. But I think there is that underlying theme of are people connected with things that they're actually really excited about. Because if, if if the answer to that is a big yes, then you're in a different situation totally. So yeah, that's one side of it. I think the other side of it, the great resignation, what we're actually seeing is, yeah, the, the manifestation of that. When people are not excited about their jobs or careers or life choices, then they've over the last two years, they've just taken that situation and reflected on it and thought, actually, no, I'm going to do something different. And so it's triggered a lot of resignations or a rethink uh, from people in lots of different situations as people throughout their careers. One of the biggest things that stands out from the stats is lots of people that are over the age of 45 in particular have, have, have resigned, and lots of them have actually not gone back into work it was but it was a, a situation to actually take early retirement for people that, that were in a position to do that that's a bit scary now because of the cost of living crisis i think everyone's having to redo the the maths and actually are in a more challenging situation but yeah it was a, a, a nationwide a global factor that that has, is playing out in a pretty big way but i think right at, right at the heart of it is people's you know excitement and satisfaction with what they were looking at looking forward and yeah, I think there's an onus in all of that to make that as an exciting a picture as possible. And if not, we should all have a rethink.
0: Yeah, exactly. I was listening to a podcast not too long ago with a guy called Ari Wallach, and he talks about it's about the long path and not the shortcut. And if you look at the long path, it's about becoming kind of the ancestors our future descendants need. So the whole way in which people businesses are operating now, and the ones that are going to thrive are the ones that are looking towards that longer journey. And the journey's the key to everything because. You know, a lot of people are looking at things like purpose at the moment and they're trying to coin a term and they're trying to utilize a terminology or a new movement that's helping them align to their business values, beliefs, goals. But some people are doing it in a short-term way, in the way that we just want to utilize it as another coin to drive profitability. And others are totally transforming their businesses and their own selves to go on this longer path. And it's actually quite hard to kind of go on like this pathway to the unknown right because you've got to like face into your fears you've got to look at the issues that we see at the moment such as the cost of living crisis and people are like legitimately questioning things like well case in point UK economy does it make sense to borrow 150 billion at a time that's going to increase our debt increase our deficit or Do we utilize things like the 170 billion that's available via windfall tax, and we're able to kind of support people in a sustainable way that way? This and I think it's it's interesting because for a long period of time, it doesn't matter where you look at from a business perspective, a lot of people have kind of followed down this top-down mandate, right? That people have saying this is how we're gonna go and this is why. And now people are challenging that very essence of, of a company's why. And if they're failing, this is why, you know, Anthony Klotz went on Bloomberg in the mid part of last year and said said the great resignation is coming. And then, mm. you know, millions of people left the, the, their roles. And same happened in the UK, July and September, 1.1 million people left last year. It's creating a whole like new ecosystem of, People want and expect more, not only from their employers, but from their own lives. They want to kind of be part of this engaging, empowering journey. And I think it's quite interesting because if you apply that logic, that kind of movement thinking, we did an episode a while back with a guy called Scott Goodson from Strawberry Frog. And that's the essence, right? You can talk about purpose. You've got to make it sticky. You've got to make it aligned to something that is going to empower people to come on that journey with you. And I think that those companies and people that are, Embracing that journey and and kind of understanding the the crux of the why, i.e. the turbulence that we're seeing in markets and society at the moment, and understanding there's a better way, they're the ones that are going to thrive, and it's and we'll move beyond simply survival to thriving. So it's I'm excited to where we go, but yeah, I think it's the crux of what we're seeing is people are challenging the very logic and existence of how business and the, themselves operate.
1: Yeah. I love that. I I think there's so much truth in that, and uh, and it's not. There's no shortcuts to be taken on this. I think you, you do have to think about the long term, and I think one of the things that businesses or business leaders are going to find really challenging is to answer those questions because there's not a playbook for it, right? Like it's you can't read the answer to your value proposition as an employer as a business from a of a book, whereas you can read books about how to build profitability and uh, and I think the the, the picture probably used to be a bit clearer, and this is what employees care about, and it's and it's salaries and perks, and yeah, it's got to fulfill these other things, but now they're much deeper questions, and I don't think many organizations have done that a really good job at answering that, and I don't think there's many leaders have, are as well practiced or as equipped to do it. So I think it's going to be the really great questions to that organizations need to ask themselves But I think we're going to see really massive variance in how good organizations are answering that question because it hasn't been a common part of the playbook for your business leaders. So yeah, I think those those are all amazing points.
0: Yeah, exactly. And This is where like remote working, it's amazing because... Look at where we're doing this now, right? You're sat up in Aberdeen. I'm sat down in, in Newcastle. We're just chatting over over Zoom. And what is possible now because of the advancement of technology is allowing people to kind of dictate their own livelihoods, actually who they want to work with, why, how they're going to work, work there. And I think that remote working to me and I think also to you as well is, is kind of key to economic growth. Like we have to embrace remote working, allow people to kind of dictate what they want to do, how they want to kind of build out their working practices, because, you know, the key to success is happiness and happiness is a key to success. You have to have happy workers, otherwise you're ultimately going to have a failing company. So give me a little bit more in respect to your views on remote working, how generation are embracing this and also um, your views in respect to the challenges that we face from an economic stance and how we may grow going forward.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, so... I think remote working has um, triggered uh, a, a really healthy, necessary conversation that's wider about. I use the word agency a lot. You know, uh, 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 someone's agency over their own life, including their contribution to their their job. But because as soon as you're working remotely, some of the other uh, checks and balances, or 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 tools or tricks that employers might have used to assess. Employee productivity are no longer there or valid. I question whether they were ever valid, but you know, it just the the status quo just wasn't possible anymore. So I think it's prompted this whole bigger rethink um, and and more agency from individuals. Um, and a bit more confidence and forthrightness from individuals to say you know this is how I'm going to run my life and uh, a lot uh, and contribute to you as an employer so that goes into working patterns flexible working in terms of how many days per week what schedule of the day you know the, i think the 9 to 5 30 or whatever pattern was is well and truly dead you can't just project a, si- a single offer so i think yeah i think it's um, forced this wider conversation about how do employees treat their staff and and, and i think it's resulted in more agency for each individual about how they interact with their with their company, um, which was a totally necessary thing. Because people that have caring responsibilities, for example, prior to the pandemic, were seriously disadvantaged. You know, there was an embarrassment or a, for some people, just such a, a devastating thing to even think that they were that they found it hard to talk about their situation because there was there is such little flexibility from their employer. So yeah, as I say, I think it's triggered this much wider Rethink about the the employer to employee relationship with much more agency for for staff. So I think that's a really positive thing, which any organisation which wants to succeed should fully embrace. I think it's you, you, it's completely self defeating if you don't embrace it because you're not going to get talent people, the, the people who are motivated and with high potential and want to work in a certain way, and they will find employers that will give them that. So if you don't, like, you're not in the equation anymore. So I, I don't think there's any option really for employers that, um, that do want to continue to, to be successful. Uh, if they want to attract people that are going to support their goals, you need to be flexible. I don't think there's any option anymore.
0: Ready to pop the question.
1: Well, I think that the rise in government words, like inactivity is the word that they use. Um, And there was a rise of something like 400,000 people, more inactive people, which are basically people that have opted out of the workforce, 400,000 people across the country. That's a lot. That's a lot of people.
0: Because if we look at that 400,000, for example, that brings us to another challenge that isn't being solved and isn't really being looked at. And that is the, the aging population. And if you look at, the older workers per se, they're, they're ultimately an asset, not liability, because they come with mountains of experience, mountains of diverse skill sets, amazing levels of diverse thought. And diversity of thought is kind of the crux of what all good good, good businesses need to operate, because you need to be able to challenge what each other are thinking in order to kind of think holistically about what's best for a company going forward. And I think it's such a huge waste to um see all of these people that, you know four hundred thousand that you mentioned kind of not feeling empowered or desired like they want to return to the workforce because you know as, as I think you in some of the notes that we've had from yourselves like you mentioned how their assets not liabilities so
1: yeah I t- totally and I think that's it's pretty devastating when you when you hear stories from people who have stopped working that they've start to feel a lack of of confidence hope ambition you know all of these things go hand in hand with each other and the longer the the stats are really clear on this as well the longer someone's out of unemployment the harder they find it to get back in and it's and all of these things get deeper and deeper. So there are people that yeah, they they do get to a situation where they do they actively speak about, you know, I lost hope a bit in, in my future. And I think that's heartbreaking for any of us to to hear when is when you when you, you talk to them and you hear about their journey and and their and who they are as a human being. They're just so full of potential. As yeah that's it's really heartbreaking. But there are ways there are ways out of this and there are solutions and ways that you can develop some skills which are which are really valuable for the the future as well as making the most of all of the stuff which people have have learned over their career to date so yeah i think there there are opportunities for people whatever point they are on their on their career journey but often too often there is a disconnect and people can't see what those those paths forward are and that's what we're trying to trying to address
0: so looking at the work that you, you guys are doing, what are the pathways that you are you kind of supporting people in respect to returning to work, learning new skills, et cetera? What what are like the, the long path? What's the journey that you guys are on?
1: Yeah. So the way that we approach this problem is we identify jobs or types of jobs where there is loads of unmet demand from employers, that is employers who have got, you know great jobs, but they're really struggling to fill those roles and, and those challenges are probably going to get bigger. So there's a, a big focus from us on growth sectors. So the technology sector, there are tens of thousands of jobs around cloud computing have emerged from nowhere over the past 10 years. Um, Similarly, in data engineering or data analytics or software engineering. So all of these jobs have just exploded and the current education system in the UK or any other country is just not set up to address them. And it definitely doesn't move fast enough. So, and the same thing's happening the, the leading edge of it is happening in the green economy. And over the next 10 years, there's, there will hopefully the pace will accelerate and all of these um, all these sectors will get a lot bigger, but it's going to create these skills gaps. So in the green economy, we analyzed it pretty forensically to find out well, where, the, where are the jobs right now, which can make a contribution to the path to net zero. And we narrowed in on the role of retrofit advisor, which is um, the process to uh, improve the energy energy efficiency of homes which there is loads of demand from employers already so we we identify jobs like that and then we work back from the skill set that we know the employer needs to develop a curriculum that we can t- take someone who's got not necessarily any previous professional experience in that sector to the point where they are job ready for for that set of, of jobs. So that's essentially the model. We call them boot camps. So they're pretty intensive, like eight to 12 week training programs where you're trained in the hard skills and the soft skills. That uh, that you need to do to do a really good job in those in those types of professions, and retrofit advisor is a really good one, particularly when you're talking about people that might be mid-career um, but want to rethink. Because the the profile of, of our of our learner on the retrofit program is really varied in terms of age, and there's people coming at it from all sorts of different backgrounds, but are really excited about getting a job in in these. In a growth sector, like the green economy, and making a contribution to the path to net zero. So, yeah, that's how the model works. And th- that phrase, skills boot camps, is becoming more and more prominent in the UK. The government is starting to specifically invest in boot camps because they see it as a as an important part of the skilling infrastructure of the country, alongside degrees and apprenticeships and T levels. Like all of those things are not going to go away, and they're really really important. But by themselves, they're not enough to meet the the skilling need of of the path to net zero or the the growth in the tech sector. So that's where we think skills boot camps can really make a contribution.
0: Yeah, no, no, I 100% agree with you. I think it's interesting as well in respect to those boot camps. Like, are you focusing more on, would you say, the harder skills or the soft skills? Because personally speaking, looking at some of the global leadership, should we say, there's often this desire to be like this kind of almost like a populist say you know like polarize people and say say what's what people want to hear but equally i think to kind of calm the seas of change that we are upon at the moment to calm that we kind of need a level of stoic behavior some some kind of more conscious thinking in respect to what we what we think and how we evolve are you focusing more on hard or soft skills during those
1: yeah you've got to do both you absolutely have to do both if you do if you do one and not the other, it doesn't work. So you've absolutely got to focus on on both, and and we do it in an equal measure. And it's actually often the disadvantaged groups that might not have had the benefit of uh, of an amazing education or a degree. When you do the when you go through those situations, you you absorb a lot of what people probably qualify as as soft skills. Mm-hmm. So particularly when you're when you're talking about helping people that. Have faced challenges or, or have come from a disadvantaged situation. The soft skills are even more important, so we we absolutely focus on both. The main thing I think, which I hear from our from people that have gone through our program, what they took away most from it. Well, first of all, is they they always end up really loving their classmates, and there's like an amazing vibe amongst them, and they're all like cheering each other on, which is which is incredible to see. Um, but they talk about there's one soft skill that we major on heavily, which we call the growth mindset. And that is a yeah, yeah, and it started to it started to become a bit more common in discussions and in training and media. So I see the phrase we've been. I mean, this is us maybe claiming it too too much, but we we've been using that way before it became popular. But it's such an important mindset that allows people to overcome challenges to to not get put off course to be stoic as you say in, in the midst of like all, all this chaos happening around us to be able to you know, reflect and get through it and use each situation to learn so the growth mindset is so important for everyone i mean for our learners but we all we all take up this medicine as well you know i think all of us could do with um with with reminding ourselves of what that kind of mindset is and why it's so important
0: yeah for sure i'm forever telling like clients and friends and you know even on people in this podcast like the challenge ultimately the challenges that we're facing at the moment is driven by a fixed mindset if we kind of we want to return to norm we want a status quo we what we you know like fear of change like the <laughs> there's huge possibilities at the other side of fear if we're willing to face down our fears and when you look at things in the in that mindset and always kind of wanting to grow and a desire to learn and engage in and build the foundation so they're solid on the base, but equally you're always progressing along the line. Anything's possible. Like if you, you apply it, a lot of I've chatted to athletes and stuff, and also my own mentality in respect to growth. And I think the turbulence is always going to be there within the economy, within society. So if we reflect on it more so as a tidal nature, like it, the to and froings of these tides, they come in, they, they go out. I think this kind of tidal nature it kind of calms you, I would imagine, because you're able to kind of step back and go, well, actually, you know, is a Caesar change. We're able to cope and understand change more if we're willing to learn from these kind of mistakes, learn from these opportunities and and grow from a firm foundation of knowledge. The individual ultimately has to want and have a desire to change themselves because if you have that desire to change yourself, you can change your circumstances. But equally if you kind of have that fixed mindset or have that mindset whereby, you know, everything, everybody else is to blame by you, I, th- I think ultimately you're doing yourself a disservice because the journey that you can go on in respect to growth, change, development is, is really empowering and it can kind of galvanize others as well as, as galvanizing yourself. But I know there's a lot of people that are in real deep hardship, but equally if we're able to support them during those periods of change and kind of nurture their growth during the initial phases. When they realize that actually more can be done by themselves during this particular time, then a lot of great things can take place and, and you, know, you can grow from those foundations of a desire to learn and, and and grow grow as you not kind of stagnate, but ultimately always want to kind of develop and see what is possible and push towards the future rather than kind of be stuck in the past and, and yeah. um, by the present.
1: Yeah. No, I love that. And I think that mindset or philosophy of of just acknowledging that, that change is is a constant, that there is always going to be change that is reassuring to people. And I mean, listening to you talk, I'm sure a lot of people would find that that really inspiring as well. The the sense of um of hope this is why i love the analogy of of the spark and the fire because i mean that's how i mm. think think about it if you can find that thing that does feel like it's a little spark inside you that that is something that you're genuinely interested in and excited about then that is so valuable and that's that's your power source so find that and then major on it it's it's uh it's a pretty sure fire recipe for success and fulfillment and when I was talking about some of the people that, that we seek to support and when they talk about uh, losing hope, that's what I find so heartbreaking is that you know, it suggests that that little spark has gone out and, and you've got to find a way to relight it and rekindle it. But once you have done that, if you as an individual can find that thing that you're excited about, you know, I would always recommend to anyone that I'm, I'm talking to is, like uh, yeah, major on that because that's, that's the power that's going to get you to, to wherever you want to be.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of um, that kind of power aligns very much to purpose because if you look at people that really embrace purpose and have purpose as as their essence of what they do in their day-to-day lives, it's driven around a desire for for me personally. I've got a a two-year-old with twins on the way, and I want to make sure that what we do today and tomorrow is all driven for future generations. So in the world that we kind of pass on, like it's about legacy at the end of the day. The world that we pass on to other generations is driven by a legacy of hope, not hopelessness. And I think that we have a real duty to future generations to drive in and usher in this change. And it's interesting because kind of when we chat to people through podcasts or through the work that we do, there is a real movement that's taken place and it's been driven at the crux of the very core of society as a whole. The fact that people are coming together through this period of grand awakening rather than great resignation, coming together and realizing that there's, there's a better way. And it's it's cool because then, you know, you ultimately get introduced to other people that are doing similar things and you can build solid partnerships through that because, you know, we can we can all do great work alone, but together we can do amazing things.
1: Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, and and I've I've got a two year old as well, and it does it does change your perspective on on the world. And I think that that's absolutely right that all of us should feel responsibility about handing over a a, a world that's that's better than when we started, hopefully. I and mean, we've got we've got a long way to go to be able to meet that promise, but that's what we should all be striving for. I think the other thing that it makes you reflect on is is role modelling. And this goes back to the point that you were talking about, Pete, of of, um, when people reflected on their life during lockdowns and thought, no, that's not enough. That's also, I think when you're a parent, you don't want to role model that to your children you want to I mean but this changes for everyone what what a good life looks like for anyone is going to change massively but you should strive to get to a point where you feel fulfilled that you feel happy that you can give your best self in all sorts of situations at work and at home and, and whatever situation you're in and I think a lot of people probably reflected that actually they're, they're not where they want to be and that lens of thinking am I role modeling to my children what what I how I think you should seek to make the most of the hours we've got on this planet. I think the answer probably wasn't an overwhelming yes in lots of cases. So it's been part of that rethink about of, of how we're going to how are we going to how we're going to focus the time in, in our lives. So yeah, I think I think being a parent probably ref helps you reflect on that as well.
0: Yeah, it's crazy, right? When you become a parent, what how quickly it changes you. You know, we've talked about future generations, but looking at the future for, for generation, what would you say is next? What are the key kind of challenges that you guys really want to face down and what are the barriers that you may be perceiving in front of you at the moment? But equally, what are the amazing opportunities and solutions that you've got at hand and what you want to drive?
1: Yeah, well, no, thanks for asking. It's, um We've been so we've been building this organisation. We we started out um, four years ago, and now we've got to a team of about 80 people. We're going to train about 1,000 people this year across the UK, which has been really exciting and a, and a heck of a journey. But when we, we we look forward to you know the growing needs across the country and uh, and the opportunity to help people that might be in a tough spot. There's loads more to do. I mean, we're only just getting going. So we would like to continue to grow the the number of people that we're supporting. But we're also really keen to share our learnings and and demonstrate what boot camps can do as a vehicle for addressing skills gap, but also an amazing vehicle for social mobility. Uh, Because one of the things that's great about skills boot camps, it's a bit different from other forms of education is that the barrier to entry is so low. I mean, you don't have to pay for these things. And it, it, in some cases, it's only eight weeks or 10 weeks. And it can get you into a life-changing career. You know, it's, it's And that's so much more accessible to everyone than the huge cost and time commitment of a degree. Um, now, for some people, degrees are absolutely the right play. But for lots of people, they're not. So. Uh, yeah, we're really passionate that actually boot camps could be and should be a bigger and bigger part of the of the of the setup here, and I'd love to see apprenticeships grow as well. So part of our agenda is to keep delivering. Keep doing what we do, but, de- but use that as a demonstration of what's possible. And we'll share all of our learnings, we'll share, we'll share what we figured out works w- w- versus what doesn't work. And we would love to see that wider uptake of, of boot camps by organizations across the country, whether that's charities or private sector players or, or bits of the education system. So that's what we would love to see. And there is, I think there's no shortage of opportunity because there are just there are so many great jobs out there particularly in in growth sectors like tech and and the green economy so we don't really see that as a limiting factor it's more about awareness of these opportunities and how much they are embraced by the system because when people leave school or college they're still not very aware of of, of the options you know that, that, that that's still not very good how people are t- taught about the different pathways universities still is the the thing which people talk to about but it's only one of a number of options so we would love to see more awareness of the different ways that people can take steps on their towards the, the careers and jobs that they'd like yeah and we'd like to see wider wider embracement of that kind of concept
0: amazing no it's been absolutely awesome chatting to you i really enjoyed this conversation so thank you so much
1: no my pleasure thanks for having me on
0: Thank you for listening to the Purpose Made podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Purpose Made wherever you normally get your podcasts to hear the latest news and views. You can also find and follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter or contact Peter directly to connect, inquire about Purpose Made or request to be featured on the podcast. We look forward to welcoming you back soon for another episode.